Hello, and welcome to Badass Moms, brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. I'm Nicole Cruz, super busy mommy coach, and I'm super excited because this is the first episode where I will be having a guest. Now, I knew that I wanted to start having guests, but I hadn't actually started looking for any when I stumbled upon this Instagram post from this absolutely inspirational woman and I ended up messaging her and hearing more about what she does and her story and I just had to impulsively invite her to be on the show. She's amazing and I can't wait to introduce you to her. Her name is Betsy Petrie Johnson, and she's a physical therapist and founder of Mama Made Strong, which is a systemic approach to healing and strengthening postpartum. She discovered her passion for postpartum care after birthing triplets and realizing her physical therapy training hadn't prepared her to be able to heal herself. After seeking the knowledge and skills she needed, she's now on a mission to make sure mothers have easy access to the information and care they need to be strong postpartum. Betsy, welcome to Badass Moms, and thank you so much for being on here. You are a badass mom, if there ever was one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, your story is just incredible. I, can, you, can you just share that out, you know, share out the story of your pregnancy and what you discovered about the gaps in your training and how it went for you personally, how that was a professional turning point for you and how you ended up where you are. Sure. Um, so I like to always start out telling my personal story by saying that I had two miscarriages to begin with. And I like to tell that to start out with because what got me through was knowing that there were other people that had already been, had already been in my shoes and so you never know who listening might need to hear that. But I had two miscarriages and then I naturally conceived triplets. No drugs, no, we weren't doing anything anybody else wasn't doing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> for anybody having a series of miscarriages, there's always hope out there. You could have triplets now. Um, <laughs> Talk about swinging the pendulum in the opposite direction. Yeah. And uh, so it was, I mean, a, a triplet pregnancy, it's, it's the only pregnancy I really know. So I can't like compare it to what it's like to have a singleton. But my understanding is that in the world of triplet pregnancies, mine was pretty mundane, but it was still kind of intense for like, as compared to having a singleton, like I, um, I managed to carry them to 35 and a half weeks. Um, but, and, and nobody put me on bed rest, but I kind of for all practical purposes, put myself on bed rest that last month because I just wanted to go as long as I could go. I used to say my only goal was to be the best incubator that I could be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that last month was just kind of tiring. Like I quit walking the dogs. I quit going to the grocery store. Um, I was telling, I, I would have to get out of the shower and before I could get dressed again, I would have to lay down and rest because it was so tiring just to take a shower. And I couldn't even take a shower every day because it was that tiring. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, um, kind of really fast, like one day I went to go see, um, the OB and they checked my urine and everything was fine. And like three days later, our midwife came out to the house and she checked my urine and it was, um, there was protein in it. And so then they did the blood work and it all came back positive for preeclampsia. And so my girls were born the next day and, um, it was a C-section and I, um, like had never imagined, like I didn't, I never imagined I would have triplets, but I didn't really ever plan on having a C-section until I became pregnant with triplets. And then I was kind of like, oh, this is not really nothing about this is going according to plan. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, so after my girls were born, I, like I obviously, when I was pregnant, I had a humongous belly. And after they were born, my belly got better, but I just like, I knew something was wrong. And I, felt like I had swallowed a basketball hole. Like I still just had this ridiculously large belly and it was hard and I couldn't figure out why it was hard. And I knew enough um, to know that I had um, a diastasis. So um, depending on where you are in the world, some people say diastasis, some people say diastasis, but 
Um, it's the separation of your ab muscles, which is 100% normal. You can't grow a baby without your ab muscles separating. It happens in every woman who makes it to their due date. But if all goes like, well, it should be self-reducing and the separation of the ab muscles should go away on its own. But there are a number of reasons why it might not go away on its own. And um, that was what happened with me. And uh, so that's like, I, I knew enough to recognize that I had one and it was large, like it was m more than four fingers wide. Um, but the depth of it, the squishiness in between your fingers is really what matters. And I didn't know that then, I didn't understand that at the time. And uh, so I just like tried to use everything that I had done previously, like I had, um, to work, I tried to do everything I had done, like to work out, to exercise, to get back in shape, to use my education, and like nothing seemed to really impact the shape of my belly. Like over time, it did get a little bit smaller, but then it kind of got to a, a point and it really stopped changing. And so at like eight months postpartum, I finally had enough time to be able to give some energy to me. And so I tried a postpartum program and at first I really liked it. And at first I felt like, okay, I, maybe this is it. And then after three months of doing it, I was like, I, I'm not sure that it barely changed at all, you know? And so then several months after that, I tried just an online exercise program that I found that I really liked, um, that wasn't specific to postpartum women. And although I liked it better, uh, it really, it didn't really change anything either. And so I couldn't really figure out what was going on, but I had so little time to devote to myself. Like not only did I have three little ones, but when our girls were 16 months old, we, so my babies were born in England, even though I'm American. And, um, when they were 16 months old, we moved with my husband's work back to the States. And so we went through an international move with three one-year-olds and it was just like, our lives were chaotic. And so <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. And so I was working on um, transferring my physical therapist license to, from the state we had previously lived in to the state that we were going to be living in. And I was taking more continuing education hours. And I accidentally, kind of what you described as far as finding me, I accidentally found um, a postpartum course that. Um, I was like, well, maybe I'll take this. Like I have to have hours anyway. It's kind of specific to my scenario. You know, I'll see, I'll see what I can learn out of here. And I was excited to, um, to learn about things being broken down into pieces and not just to be given exercises like here, do this, because none of that seemed to be working for me. So I, I wanted the why and I wanted a better understanding of what was different postpartum. And so when I started this postpartum course, I felt like I had found the tip of an iceberg and I was like, okay, like this is stuff that I am not, um, I haven't taken into account, you know? And uh, so I tried to go back to work. I had my kids in daycare and it was just a disaster in every way. <laughs> the daycare was wonderful. It wasn't them, mm -hmm. but um yeah, it just, it was too much. It was trying, I was trying to work part-time and it was taking more of my time than I had intended. And my kids were having a really hard transition, which I know is normal, but when there's three of them having meltdowns, it is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> so I lasted about three months and then I just said, life is too short. We are only having these children. They are only going to be little one time. I am done. I'm going back to be mama again. And but this time when they would nap at, in the middle of the day and when they would go to bed at night, I would start trying to put together a program to break down what I had learned to help get that information out to other people. Because I felt like if I don't know all this stuff about postpartum and I've spent years studying, um, you know, how the body works and how to move well and all this kind of stuff. I don't know this. There are gobs and gobs and gobs of other people who don't know this and it should be easier to come by. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of trying to put together this program, I went like, oh God, like, I think that I have tried enough new things on me. Like I've sorted out where it's, what is wrong. And my belly went away. 
And um, it probably took me, it's hard because I didn't, that's not really what I set out to accomplish. So it's hard for me to put an exact number on it, but it probably took me about four or five months. Like it, my belly didn't drastically change from maybe two months postpartum to two and a half years postpartum. And then, or sorry, maybe not, maybe just over two years postpartum. And then like by two and a half years postpartum, my belly was flat again. So like between like two years and two months and maybe two and a half years. And I was like, wow, you know, like this is, this has been so frustrating for me. And so like, I feel like I should know these answers and I feel like I should understand this. And there have got to be so many other people out there, so many other mothers who don't know what they don't know, you mm-hmm. know? Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm one of them in a way when, you know, when, when we first started chatting, I told you a little bit about how I had an injury and, um, you know, after preg- you know, it, it wasn't healed by the time I got pregnant and I was kind of looking for answers too. And when you started talking, it was exactly that feeling. Oh my God, these are the answers I've been looking for. Yeah. 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 So let's go into a little bit about what changes in the body during pregnancy and birth. Yeah. So, um, when you're growing that big old belly out in front of you, your center of gravity has to shift forward as that baby takes up space in front of you, because now there's, you know, the added weight of baby and placenta and amniotic fluid and whatever else out in front of you. That's not normally there. Just like if you were carrying something it kind of shifts your center of gravity forward. And it kind of, when you're pregnant, it kind of takes your hips with it, kind of tilts your pelvis forward. And so your compensation is to lean backward. And so that's why you see most pregnant women have more of a curve in the small of their back because that baby's pulling forward and they're leaning back to compensate for it. And then they kind of round forward at their shoulders too, because if they didn't, they'd be looking up at the ceiling instead of out in front of them. So you get that more of a curve in the, in the lower part of your back and more of a rounding forward in the upper part of your back. And, uh, and so when that happens, well, let me back up again. So normally like in a, in a woman who's not pregnant, your diaphragm, the muscle that helps you regulate your breathing, it kind of sits like at the bottom of your rib cage. And then your pelvic floor is a group of muscles that close the bottom of your pelvis. And so in a woman who's not pregnant, your diaphragm and your pelvic floor should sit relatively one on top of the other one. Okay. But as a, as your belly grows and your pelvis tilts forward in a pregnant woman and your ribs push out to to allow for that baby to grow in the in a pregnant woman then your diaphragm and your pelvic floor aren't lined up with each other anymore and what should happen in a woman who's not pregnant is that when you inhale your diaphragm and your pelvic floor should move down and when you exhale your diaphragm and your pelvic floor should move up well when you're pregnant it's really hard to get a great big deep breath down because there's somebody in the way blocking it Mm -hmm. okay and so when you can't get that motion out of your diaphragm, you're also not getting the same motion out of your pelvic floor. You, it's, not, it's not necessarily that you can't get that motion, but you're not getting the same function out of your pelvic floor. Um, and additionally, when there's a baby out in front of you, that baby doesn't have a lot of give to it. Like a pregnant belly is kind of stiff. And so that pregnant belly is providing stability to your spine that is normally provided by your abs and your pelvic floor. And so your abs can't do their job right because they're so stretched out. So they get thrown off by pregnancy and your pelvic floor, again, isn't quite doing its job normally because the baby is providing stability that normally your pelvic floor contributes to. And then like, because, so your abs attach to the front of your pelvis and they, in a normal, in a, woman who's not pregnant and a person who's not pregnant, they pull up on the front of your pelvis and your glutes and your hips pull down on the back of your pelvis. So they should kind of be doing opposite motions to balance out your pelvis. But if your abs aren't functioning right, then neither are your glutes. Like they're, they're kind of playing a tug of war. And if one of them's not tugging, then the other one's not having to tug very hard either. And so all of those things change when a woman is pregnant. And then when the baby's born, there genuinely are women who bounce back after pregnancy 
they got in the right genetics line. They, you know, have good genetics. They're fortunate in that category. Um, they have good mechanics and they didn't do anything crazy too soon after having their baby. And if all of those stars align, then you genuinely can bounce back and have an easy recovery after having a baby. But if any or multiple of those things are off, then you end up with women who are like, oh, well, you know, I have this thing that's not right. And either they're, you know, on this search for trying to figure out how to solve it, or they just go, oh, you know, this is part of motherhood. Uh, this is what I have to put up with. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the thing because so many women are dealing with these issues. Like how many women are like, oh, well, I just can't jump anymore because right. I'll leak urine and things like that. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's common, but it's not necessarily normal. Like it's not necessary. Yeah. It doesn't have no. to happen. And a lot of women don't know that there's a choice. And yeah. these things that impact quality of life on a very fundamental yes. level. You know, the nail on the head. Leaking urine is common, but not normal. It's your body's cry for help. Mm -hmm. Your body doesn't speak in English or whatever your native language is. It cannot <laughs> tell you that in the way that you normally digest it. Mm -hmm. But leaking urine when you do anything other than sit down and intend on doing it is not normal. Yeah. And I mean, I, this is silly, but like I get so worked up when I see those commercials on TV or on the internet about women laughing while they're riding their bike or doing their yoga class because they're peeing themselves. And isn't that funny? No, no, no. it's not funny. <laughs> Stop making people think that that's just something they have to laugh off. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I get wound up about that. It's, that's not the message we, we should be sending. No, not at all. And I mean, we're, you know, it's, it's 2019. We can do yes. stuff about this. I mean, people have been able to do stuff about this for a long time now, but it's just not widely disseminated information, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing I, I, I've decided, like, I think that women are getting better at discussing those sorts of things amongst themselves, but like complaining about back pain is a lot easier to do than complaining about peeing yourself while you're exercising or, you know, like it's just something that is generally more socially acceptable. And so mm -hmm. it's easier to talk about. And so it's easier to look for solutions for it, but is a lot harder to talk about, you know, peeing yourself when you pick your child up or when you jump or when you sneeze or whatever, it's just less socially acceptable. So people choose not to talk about it as much. And so they're not aware of the answers aren't as widespread, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think it's so important that you're sharing those answers. So yeah. I mean, they have an option. If they are out there. There are people sharing it. And I just feel like I have to add my voice to the mix because I just, I'm blown away by how much I didn't know. And I didn't know that I didn't know and I had literally spent my life trying to understand how to move, how to move better, how to be stronger, you know, and I mm -hmm. didn't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how such an important milestone in a person's body's development is just almost yeah. skipped over. <laughs> right, yeah. And I mean, like, it's my understanding that in France, a um like at least consultation or pelvic floor physical therapy in general is part of is a standard part of postpartum care um but it's not in the united states and it's not in the uk and mm -hmm. you know i mean i don't know all that much to be honest about um french healthcare, but that's what i've heard is that um they have pelvic floor physical therapy as a standard after childbirth which you know, I, that would be an amazing thing to see happen in this country or most countries, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so what else? So let's say you could, uh, you know, design, well, I mean, you kind of have designed these courses, but if you were to sort of just generically say what the ideal postpartum care would be in the ideal world. What would, what would that look like? You mentioned, you know, not doing too much too soon. Um, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, genetics plays a component. We can't control that. But 
Um, you mentioned how the pregnancy and birth goes. We can, you can maybe get into what we can control about that. And then what, what would happen after? Well, so it's so specific to every woman. Like I couldn't even like say this would be the ideal recovery because like all the things you just named, it depends on that woman's particular background prior to getting pregnant. It depends on what she's trying to return to. It depends on her genetics. It depends on what her pregnancy is like, what her labor and delivery is like, what kind of support she has after birth, you know? And so that's where the standard of like, go and talk to somebody who this is their expertise is a great way to go because then you can get one-on-one care. And, you know, while I don't see that happening in the near future in this country, I would say to any mom, if you have the option to go and talk to a pelvic floor physical therapist, if you have insurance that will cover it, if you have the means to fund it, then it's definitely worth your while to at least go and talk to somebody, you know, and decide if you're a person who needs it or if you're someone who, you know, happens to be fortunate enough that you don't need it. But I would say that almost every mother would have things that they could learn from a pelvic floor physical therapist. And um, so like, that's, that's really my goal with my program is to educate people about, you know, how their diaphragm should work. What, what should happen when you breathe? What should your pelvic floor should be doing? Because most people that I talk to are like, I am disconnected from my pelvic floor. I have no idea what my pelvic floor is doing. I have never even heard someone use that phrase besides you. You know, <laughs> so It's hard to know what it's doing if you've never given it any thought or don't even have a name for it. Mm-hmm. or have a name for it that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or what should your abs be doing? Or what should your hips be doing? How do your feet play a role in this? How does your upper body play a role in this? What is, what's your posture like? You know, just to make people more informed. And it might be that if you make people more informed, then they're like, oh, well, I can stop doing this. You know, like now that you've explained to me what I should be doing and I know what I am doing, then I will, you know, gradually progress to doing what I should be doing instead of where I am now. Or it might be that, you know, somebody learns from, you know, any amount of information and then they say, okay, I understand what I'm supposed to be doing and I understand where I am now, but I cannot figure out how to bridge the gap, you know? And so for that person, you know, then going to, to see someone in person, like finding a good physical therapist where they are, you know, is ideal because they can help them bridge that gap. Like they can look at that individual. It just need it's, it so needs to be individualized. Like, um, I think that was my personal frustration with the postpartum program that I tried is that it was just a, applied in a blanket approach. You know, like you're a mother, you've had a baby, therefore you should be doing these exercises. And so some of the exercises I found boring and not Um, answering my questions. And so then I would start thinking about all the millions of things I need to be doing besides spending time on myself. And I lost my focus, you know, or there were exercises that were really great for me to be doing, but I wasn't doing them right. Even though I had a background in doing it and I knew how to do the exercise, I was disconnected from my body. Like my brain and my muscles weren't weren't communicating with each other. And when I thought I was doing an exercise correctly, I wasn't thinking of it. I wasn't asking myself all the right questions because I was basing what, how I did that exercise on how my body worked before I had babies, you know, but my body wasn't working that way. And I didn't know how to fix that disconnect. I didn't understand what I didn't understand. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that just, I feel like that hit the nail on the head with so much of what, you know, I struggled with, with, you know, postpartum trying to heal from an injury. It was exactly what you said. It's like, you know, I based a lot on what happened before, you know, before the injury, before the pregnancy. And then there's that disconnect. And you can sometimes like, I would see myself in a video and I would be so Mm -hmm. crooked. But when I did it, I felt completely straight. It's that disconnect, like you said, that's just incredible. Yes. Yeah. So can we get a little more in detail in to what the most common issues are. We've talked about, yeah. um, you know, peeing when you exert yourself. Cough, lift, run, jump, anytime that it's unintended. It's common, but it's not normal. You do not yeah. 
And so maybe like why that happens and um, like what can be done about it. And then also, you know, the diastasis a little more into that, um, you know, for people who aren't familiar with that, if you visualize your ab muscles, you know, you have the, the six pack and then you usually in the pictures you have the red and then you have the white, which is kind of that um, connective tissue where that white part gets really stretched out. Um, and maybe like getting into that. And then what are some of the other common issues you know of and what causes yeah. those? Yeah, so as far as why does anyone get leaking with exertion, it's to go back to what you were saying before, it is specific to that woman. There is not one cause. It could be that you need to retrain her brain. It could be that her pelvic floor is too tight. It could be that her pelvic floor is too weak. It hmm. could be that she um, is, is in the way that she tightens her abs, she's bearing down and she's putting pressure down on her pelvic floor. And, and it just is like all of those factors play a role. Like there could be an imbalance in the hips. There could be an imbalance in the feet. There could be, it could be the way that she stands, that she's bearing down, that she's putting pressure. She's increasing the load onto her pelvic floor. And so genuinely all of those factors play in and the cause for one woman could be completely different than the cause for the next woman, than the next woman, than the next woman. Like it's so dependent on who that is. And that's why like a blanket approach doesn't work. Like it has to be tailored to that individual. Um, but as, and so the same is true of a diastasis. Like why doesn't a diastasis heal? Well, it might be the way you breathe. It might be, you know, it might have to do with your pelvic floor function or lack thereof. It might have to be with the dis it might have to do with the disconnect between your brain and your abs. It might be an imbalance in your hips, your feet, your posture, you know, like all of those things again factor in and it just the weakest link in one person might be her pelvic floor, whereas the weakest link in another person might be her belly. And so it just depends on that individual and their life experiences and their pregnancy experiences and their delivery experiences like it's just you have to take into account all of the factors there's not a reason why anyone leaks there's not a reason why anyone has a diastasis there's infinite reasons but the other another thing that you don't hear people talk about because again like no one wants to talk about it is pelvic organ prolapse are you familiar mm -hmm. so like research says that almost three out of ten women experience some degree of pelvic floor prolapse. So pelvic floor prolapse is when the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum, an organ that should be inside of the pelvic floor, is instead trying to come out of the vagina. And so um, it can be a degree of trying to come out where it's like in the canal, but it's not actually coming out, or it can, it can actually be coming out. And so obviously the the greater that it is displaced from inside the pelvis, the bigger a deal it is. And the closer it is to being within the pelvis, the easier it can be to manage. But the same answer is true. It isn't caused by one thing. It's caused by putting your pressure down and bearing down. Um, but you could still have like a pelvic floor that's working too hard. You could still have imbalances in your feet or your hips. You can still have you know, disconnects between your pelvic floor, your abs, your brain, your, you can still have breathing patterns that are sabotaging your efforts. And for most people, it's not one thing. It's a combination of those things, at least in the scenarios where it gets more complicated, you have to work multiple things to be able to tease out why that's happening. Um, but then you also have things that are more generic that people may or may not associate with having a baby like back pain or, um, you know, pelvic pain, I guess people are more likely to associate with having a baby. Um, but um, pain with sex can be because of pelvic floor dysfunction. Again, it's one of those things that like, it's not normal. Like, yes, it happens. Yes, there are lots of women in, the, in your same shoes. Yes, it's something that's very hard to discuss with people how many people do you feel comfortable talking to about your sex life and and the dysfunction of it you know but it is it is treatable like that's not something that you have to put up with if you can find a resource you don't have to you know proclaim it from the mountaintop but if you can find a resource if you can find people to talk to like those are all problems that can be solved that's not something you have to put up with for the rest of your life and um 
lots of women also experience um, pubic symphysis pain when they're pregnant. So we kind of tend to think of our pelvis like it's a ring of bone, but it actually is six bones that connect in the front and then in the back. So in the back, it connects to the triangular bone, that's your tailbone. And then in the front, it connects to a big piece of cartilage that is your pubic symphysis. And so a lot of women when they're pregnant will get pain at that connection point where the two sides of your pelvis connect to your, um, to that big piece of cartilage. And for some people, they have it really bad during pregnancy. It's completely debilitating. They can barely walk. And then after the baby's born, it goes away. And so it, it has to do again with the combination of factors of how they're stabilizing. Pubic symphysis pain is usually related to an imbalance in their adductors in the muscles in the inside of your thighs that bring your hips, bring your legs towards midline. And they attach right up there where that pubic symphysis is. Um, but for some people it stays after the baby is born. And, uh, and so that's what you have to go and sort out. Like why is one adductor functioning more or less than the other adductor? Where is this imbalance coming from? Why is this happening? You mm -hmm. know, to undo it. But those are probably the most common, um, like issues that you see after pregnancy that people are more or less willing to discuss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I think, important to know. I mean, I learned about some things just hearing you talk right now that I didn't know before. You know, um, I didn't realize that a prolapse could be that severe. Yeah. Yeah, which I can only imagine what that would do to someone's life. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's that severe, it's, it it needs more treatment. So the um, the statistics on surgically repairing a prolapse are not great, and so I think it again it boils down to what caused that. Like, was that a trauma because of delivery? That like there's structural damage that you can go in in a surgery and repair the structural damage, and then you solve the problem. Or is this a kinetic chain problem? where she's loading wrong and she's bearing down and she's putting that same force down through her pelvic floor every time she acts. And then you can do a surgery to repair the tissue, but her kinetic chain isn't different. Her loading isn't different. And so she's still bearing down and she's eventually that surgery is going to fail, you know? And so it depends on like, I think even if you're, you're someone whose connective tissue is the problem and, and the surgery can be the solution, it's really important to learn how to load correctly because your odds of having a successful surgery are much better. Um, but it's possible, depending on the degree of the prolapse, that uh, a woman might be able to rehab it and change her mechanics and undo the prolapse without needing surgery because it's the mechanics of how she moves that is forcing everything out to begin with. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it just into, really depends yeah. on the one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could you get into a little bit for people who don't know, like what you mean by kinetic chain? Uh, yeah. So basically like all of those components that I was talking about previously, like the way that she breathes, the way that she um, engages her pelvic floor, the way that she engages her abs. And I, like I recognize that I'm being a little bit vague and saying it, but it's mostly because there's infinitely many ways to do it wrong. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's not that many ways to do it well. Um, so like when you inhale, your inhale should move down and your exhale should move up. And lots of women reverse that when they're pregnant, because like we talked about before, you can't inhale down when there's mm -hmm. a kicker here to block you. So you stop inhaling down and you inhale up because you can also use your neck and your shoulders to help you open your lungs up to get more air into your lungs. And then the baby's born and you may or may not go back to breathing correctly. So as an example, if you're someone who inhales up and then you go to exhale down, then that, so you're coughing on your exhale and you're pressing down. Well, that is a completely ineffective cough because the idea in a cough is to expel something from the top. And if your pressure is going down, you're not going to get that out of the correct place. <laughs> I wouldn't have even thought of that. <laughs> right. Right. So that sort of like something as simple as breathing with an ineffective pattern 
can contribute to things like leaking and prolapse and diastasis and back pain because you need the, the forces of inhalation and exhalation to, to go down on inhale, up on exhale for everything to be able to work together. And so um, that's kind of why I'm, I'm, I was being a little bit vague about like, what is your pelvic floor doing? Well, it depends on the woman. Like you, you need your pelvic floor to be able to contract and relax. You need your diaphragm to be able to contract and relax your abs. And so it just depends on, you know, the specifics of that individual. But um, as far as, what did you ask me? How do you, the person who can, um like rehab a prolapse is that what you where we we were starting there and also um a kinetic chain oh what that that means so like right so all of those components would be your kinetic chain um like how you breathe how you use your pelvic floor how you use your hips how you use your feet how you use your abs how everything moves and works together essentially the movement of everything interlinked is your kinetic chain Mm -hmm. um that's not the briefest synopsis of it but um, and so all of those things play a factor in um, being able to unravel whatever that individual is working for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to the extent that you feel comfortable. Could you get into what you had tried and what you were doing before you discovered this new knowledge and then what you changed that actually got you the results? And then you also mentioned that the flat belly wasn't the primary thing you were going for. Um, and maybe talk about, uh, you know, the what you were healing and how you saw that change when you changed your methods. Yeah, so I was trying to do, um, all right, so before I learned about how, how much changes postpartum, I was trying to do um, things like push-ups and planks, and I was like, I just feel like my belly's hanging out, like it just, it doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. and so I would stop doing them because I had the sensation that it was wrong. And then I would try to make them easier. Like I would do them on the wall or I would do them with my hands on the bathtub or a chair or something. And I would feel better in those situations because the angle was different on my stomach, but I never felt like I could progress with it. I never felt like if I did enough of them on the wall or if I did enough of them on the bathtub that then I could get to the floor. And I tried to do things lying on the floor like Um, I started out doing really basic stuff, like just engaging my transverse abdominis and doing like bridging with two legs. And then I felt like I had a handle on my transverse abdominis. I felt like I could bridge with two legs. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to make it harder. I'm going to bridge with one leg. That was something I had done, you know, a gazillion times before babies. And I was like, I'm going to do this now. And it just, I got to where I could do it on one leg. And every time I tried to do it on the other leg, I felt so crooked. And I had no idea why I was crooked. Hmm. And so it was just stuff like that. Like I, I really wanted to like run and to do squats and lunges and plyos. And I wanted to get my heart rate up and I wanted to feel like I had a workout and I couldn't do it because I couldn't do this basic stuff. And I was like, I can't progress to the point where I feel comfortable allowing myself to do what I really want to do. Like all of this simple, um, like, slower, easier stuff. It's just wrong. Like, I just know I'm not doing it right. And I don't know why I'm not doing it right. And, uh, so then I, um, I took this postpartum course and it just, it had me doing some different exercises that did feel better, but it just didn't really change. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Where, where, where should I go from Hmm. Well, I know when we had talked, you had mentioned that oh, covered the root of your problem. It actually yeah. went back to childhood. Yeah. And then it's just really curious to hear like what okay. exercises were the miracle ones. Okay. Your specific uh, scenario. Not, there wasn't an exercise. It was like, I was trying. Uh, so, all right. So let me back up. All right. So I was, I'm 40. So when I was four, it was in the eighties. And, um, we had child seats on the back of our bikes, on the back of my parents' bikes. 
And, you know, but I wasn't on one. There was this flat spot on the back of my mom's bike. And I can very distinctly remember this. My dad was riding the bike. I was four. And I had been told a million times, I had done this a million times, when you ride on the back of the bike, don't put your feet down. And I knew not to do it. And I have no idea why that particular day I didn't do it. I don't know if I was curious. I don't know if I had a lapse in whatever, but that day I put my feet down and my foot went through the bicycle spokes <gasps> while my dad was pedaling the bike. Oh. And yeah. Ooh. And I can still remember like sitting on the side of the bathtub with my mom while she cleaned it up. And I remember that they told me not to walk on it, that I was too little to have crutches. I didn't break it. It was a sprain. And they told me not to walk on it. And I even asked my mom recently, do you have any idea how long I was non-weight bearing for? Because when you're four and you're little, you know, they don't give you crutches. They say, oh, you're going to carry that child around. And so my parents carried me around. Loved that part. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any crutches. And I don't know how long I didn't walk on it. But I basically turned right and I stayed connected to everything in my body that helped me as a four-year-old to stand on my right leg but I disconnected from everything in my body that helped me to stand on my left leg and when they said okay your ankle's better you can go back to walking I just put that foot back on the ground but I didn't go back to using my foot normally I didn't go back to using my hip normally and I didn't go back to using my abs normally and it threw off a lot of different things and I all like I can remember when I was 13 trying to cross my legs where you like put your ankle on your knee and you let your knee fall out to the side and one leg would go really far out and the other leg wouldn't go that nearly that far and I knew that I had a preference for crossing my legs one way versus the other and I couldn't figure out why like one would go all the way flat and the other one was still stuck up in the air and at 13 I remember for whatever reason noticing this and um, then when I was 16, I tore my ACL and I really like at that time, it was a huge, like, um, it's hugely frustrating and upsetting to me because my identity was as an athlete. And this was the first time that I'd ever been hurt to the degree where I couldn't play my sport. And, um, I really now, like at that time I was like, why did this happen? Like I tried to be as strong as I could. I tried to, you know, train and condition and do everything that I should why did I tear my ACL? And now I understand, well, because you had these wonky mechanics since you were four mm -hmm. that you didn't know. And so you were putting too much load. You weren't using your hip right. You weren't using your abs right. And it, you know, put too much load through your knee. And that was just, you know, the, the weak link at that point. But, uh, so as far as like figuring that out, I was doing a test where in standing on one leg, your hips should still be level. So like, if, you're, if you stand on one leg, you should be able to keep your pelvis in the same position as if you were standing on two legs. You shouldn't have to tilt it to the side either way. And on one leg, I, well, okay, on both legs, I thought that I was keeping my pelvis level. And then I went and stood in front of the mirror to double check myself. <laughs> all wrong. <laughs> And so then I was like, okay, well, I'll just stop doing that. Like, I'll just stop hiking my hip up in the air. Why in the world am I doing this in the first place? And then like, so most injuries that I've had in my life have been to my right side because I've been doing everything with that side. My left side has just been hanging out, like not carrying its weight. And so I thought, you know, this is a habit and I'll just undo it. But I was trying to think like, why do I have this habit? And I had that habit because of the one injury I'd ever had to the left side of my body, which was when I was four, you know? And so I'm like 39 years old figuring this out. And I'm like, okay, this is 35 years of moving in an effect, ineffective way. This is not going to happen overnight. Like you cannot undo 35 years of, you know, altered mechanics by going, oh, I just stop doing that. You know, and so I was like, all right, this is going to be a crazy road, you know, just be patient with yourself, you know, and there have been, you know, a lot of times, like, I, so I've really been making gains now for probably about nine months. And, and um, I can tell such a difference, but it's still not where I want it to be. But and there are days where I'm like, oh, 
like maybe I'm just, I've lost my mind. Like maybe I can't undo 35 years of this. And then I'm like, no, but look how far you've come. Like look how much you understand that you have been looking for these answers since you were a teenager, you know, and now you're connecting dots and you're understanding idiosyncrasies about yourself that you've known all your life and never had the why, you know, and now you've got a why, like you, you are making ground, stay patient, you know, mm-hmm. hold, hold the course, mm-hmm. you know, but I have to give myself a pep talk every now and then because it nine months of like, not, I stopped, I was running and then I stopped running because I was like, I cannot change my mechanics while I'm running. It's too fast. It's too quick. It's, I can't do it. It's causing me to push out in my belly again, you know? And so I've like mostly been focusing on retraining my left hip, but now my left hip is doing a lot better and I'm gradually like getting a better understanding of my abs. So like we have four layers of abdominal muscles and you have the left side and the right side. So that's eight muscles and they do not all have to be correctly working. So like uh, you can have one muscle on one side that does its job and then doesn't do it on the other side, you know, and then on the side that you think is working correctly, it might only be working correctly in one muscle and not two of the other ones, you know, and so it's been trying to tease through all that and figure out what do I have to think? What exercises is my weakness? If you spend time doing what you're good at, you will only get so much better. You have to find the things that you're terrible at. That's where the magic is, you know? And if you really focus on what you, what your weaknesses are, that's when you really grow. And that's what I've learned is when I have no time, and this is probably something similar to what you found, when I have no time to really get the best um, out of the limited amount of time that I have, it's to focus on what is so hard for me because I can, I can wear myself out in two or three minutes doing this impossible exercise mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not really impossible. It's just impossible to me, you know, and then, you know, two or three or more, or 10 more of those sorts of exercises, whatever amount of time you have, and your brain and your body is just exhausted and you've been, it's 20 minutes. Okay, now my kids are awake. I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) All three of them. (laughs) That's all I got. But I like, my brain is fried now because I just did this thing that, you know, has been disconnected for however long. You know, so most people's, most people's stories probably aren't that extreme. Like most people didn't have to have, grow, grow three people at the same time. Most people aren't trying to change their mechanics that have been off for 35 years. You know, so for most people, they, it won't be as complicated as my situation will be or is. <laughs> but uh, hopefully what I've learned from trying to unravel all of that will simplify it for other people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And what I love about you is that I feel like you are an exemplary expert. You know, I feel like there are the people who have the training and apply it in like an if then way, like, well, if they come in with shoulder pain, we're going to give them these exercises. You know, if they come in with back pain, we're going to do these assessments and then give these. And then there are the cases that are just more complicated and don't fit into a textbook case study. And it takes a real expert to be able to apply the knowledge you've gained and to use it in creative ways to really get to the root of the problem and figure out what's going on. And that's what I love about talking to you because you have that depth of knowledge that allows you to do that and figure out new things and creative solutions. And I mean, you're making me want to fly to Atlanta right now and get an assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, forget it. If I could, I'd be on a plane tomorrow, you know, like, you know, my personal story isn't anywhere near as extreme as yours, but, um, you know, I tripped over a loose boardwalk plank. Um, I live in Rockaway Beach in New York City. Some of the people listening know that. And this was before Hurricane Sandy when it was actually wooden planks. And, you know, someone stepped on one side, the other side popped up when I was going over it and I went down and I fell in a, you know, for people who are actually can see this, I fell in a position with my leg wrapped under me like that. Um, and I couldn't get it treated at the time. I didn't have insurance and it went untreated for a long time. Um, and then I finally started getting treatment. I went to a chiropractor because I was like, Oh, I have back pain. My, you know, my pelvis is a little bit off. Let me go to a chiropractor, which is, you know, reasonable first step. 
Um, and then I got pregnant. And <laughs> so everything, you know, stopped, like treatment pretty much stopped. And my pregnancy, like now I'm hearing everything you're saying and all those changes in my body and how my pregnancy was compensating for, you know, this baby that was growing was probably all messed up <laughs> because I was uneven, you know, my pelvis was stuck in this slightly crooked position for for years and it probably it still does it sometimes but I'm exaggerating a little bit but it would kind of rotate that way so this yeah. side would come forward and then it would kind of go back and yeah. sort of rotate a bit and it took years afterwards you know finally when I could start going I start, went to a chiropractor months and months and months and then finally started going to a physical therapist it was like I went to one for months and months and then ran out. Insurance wouldn't cover it anymore. I had to wait, started going to another one when my insurance changed and overall went to probably like maybe two years of physical therapy. And then the last physical therapist I was seeing had this genius idea um, that, you know, he said, I think you have overactive nerves, which basically means that you're nerves are responding to, you know, because of the trauma, your nerves are responding to normal stimuli um, as if it's a painful stimuli, something's wrong. And so it's firing up, tensing up muscles and stuff as if it was an actual like bad thing happening. And he sent me for acupuncture. And so I made progress with, with the chiropractor. I definitely made progress, but it wasn't going all the way. Physical therapy made a ton of progress. And, you know, probably cleared it up like 80%, 90%. It just wasn't going all the way. And it was still, like you said, I would, so I didn't do the same thing you did. Like I didn't say, you know, I don't have the fundamentals down, so I'm not going to do it. I said, <laughs> you know what? Well, but the only reason I did is because it had been ingrained in me. Like if you do it wrong, you will mess something up. Like I had years of education and experience. Yeah. So, so I yeah. knew that, but I was like, I don't know how to fix the fundamentals. So what am I going to do? Just never work out again? Screw it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was also like eight months into it too. And you were at years at that point. So. <laughs> it was just like, it was like, you know, I, I, I there is no end in sight here and I'm not going to just, it, it's like, it hurt when I sat. It hurt when I stood up. It hurt. He's like, you know what? It hurts when I lift weights too. It hurts when I sit. It hurts when I do anything. It'll hurt when I lift weights. I'm just going to lift weights. You know, I'm just going to run. And I just kind of had that attitude. I'm like, I don't know how to fix this and I'm just going to not let it stop my life. And so what happened? It snowballed. I, then when I finally, someone actually finally sent me for imaging, they're like, yeah, well, you have a torn labrum. Okay, that's not so bad. And stenosis and three herniated bulging discs. And <laughs> they just went on and on and on with all the stuff that was wrong because it snowballed. And yeah. you know, now I think the acupuncture, the, the nerve theory seems like that was hit the nail on the head because the acupuncture, I just felt muscles that had just been like almost like stuck. And that's what it felt like all the time. I was like, I just, you know, it felt like rods sometimes in my pelvis there would just be muscles that were stuck that I just couldn't move differently, you know? And finally those started loosening up. I felt them moving. I felt mobility in joints that hadn't been moving in years. And then now I feel like I'm at the point that you, you know, you've described in, you know, your situation where I'm like, okay, so, and I, I've told people this, I've told, you know, I'm like, I feel like my kinetic change just isn't working right. Like when I go to do, and I demonstrate a shoulder press, I'm like, I feel the force going up this side, but not going up this side the right way. And it was like, yeah, yeah but, but that shouldn't really cause you so much pain. And I'm just oh, like, oh yeah, well, but, but how do I fix it? You know, or little things like that. And so now I'm at the point that finally those muscles can move and I can get everything in the right position where I'm trying to retrain my kinetic, my kinetic chain to work properly. And I wish you were here next to me. <laughs> Because that's <laughs> I just might have to go to Atlanta at some point. Are you coming to New York anytime soon? <laughs> not not, not that I have planned. <laughs> we'll have to figure something out. You get, you get online video coaching. We'll have to do something because I feel like this is exactly the next step I need. And I know this is, you know, kind of um, a little bit of a rant to go on, but I know I'm not the only one who's resonating with what you're saying. I know that other moms who are listening to this and other not moms who are listening to this are going to understand sort of a similar story. Even without the pregnancy, there are things that go wrong, but especially women who have gone through pregnancy and felt these changes and 
felt like, you know, why can't I take a deep breath? I mean, for years, I couldn't take a deep breath. I could not take, like, it was so hard for me to force a deep breath and it still didn't go all the way. Yeah. 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 So, um, it probably comes as no surprise that like, you're not the first person who's like, but I have this scenario. Can you help me figure out why this is, you know, why is this thing? <laughs> and like, so I was the kid who always loved to hold a puzzle, like not the jigsaw kind, but like the 3d kind. And so that's the way I, I like people's movement problems are to me. It's like, it's a puzzle that I can see and I can hold in my hand and it's just fascinating. And so every time somebody asks me that kind of question, I'm like, oh, I want to know what the answer is too. And I want to figure this thing out. And I just get really excited about it. The problem is I generally, generally have, you know, 10 or 15, maybe 30 minutes of a conversation with this person. And I just can't solve it in that amount of time. It's just mm -hmm. the way that that person has moved for however long is far more complicated than a 10 minute conversation. And so that was part of my um, idea in designing the Mama Made Strong program is to give people the information to be able to problem solve. Because if you can, if, if I can go, okay, your inhalation should go down and your exhalation should go up, you know, then you can sit here and go, am I doing that? And you might go, okay, yeah, I got that. What's next? You go, okay, well then there's another module in the program that'll tell you what's next. But if you're going, um, I'm not doing that, you know, then your next question is, well, how do I change it? Like, how do I, how do I stop breathing like this? You know? And so it just like, it's more complicated than just think about doing it differently because it depends on exactly why you do it. But a good part of it is think about doing it differently. It's just like breaking any other habit that you have, you know, like if you want to eat better, if you want to move more, you have to like set aside the time and the effort to change that about your life. So if, if your goal is to, you know, eat less Cheetos, we'll stop buying Cheetos. If your goal is to like learn to inhale down and exhale up, then you're breathing all day long. So that's all day long that you have an opportunity to practice. And so you have to find the times in your life that you have brain cells to devote to it. So it might be while you're chopping vegetables. It might be while you're waiting in line. It might be while you're commuting. It might be you know, I don't know, while you're going to the bathroom, you know, there could be any number of things, mm -hmm. you know, where you have time to think about what is my inhale doing? What is my exhale doing? And eventually one day you'll go to check yourself and you'll be like, oh, I got this. You know, mm -hmm. you could be doing it while you're laying in bed at night, while you're trying to calm yourself down to be able to go to sleep, you know, whatever it is. And so you just kind of carry that idea over into whatever you're retraining yourself to do, to reconnect to your pelvic floor, your hips, your abs, etc. you know, but I like, I get probably not as excited as the people who want answers, but I get at least half as excited as the people <laughs> who want answers when people ask me stuff like that, because that's, that's why I do what I do. I love it, you know, but I can't answer it in 10 minutes. And so this is my attempt at finding a solution to that is to give people information and have them go out and problem solve. And then if you have a problem or you can't figure it out, then come and ask me or find a professional that's local to you so somebody can, you know, diagnose it with you. But yeah, I get it. I love it. It's a bit, I'm, I, it's a profession that is like, I'm just passionate about. I yeah. can tell. I mean, I love that about you. I mean, <laughs> you're not only do you have the depth of knowledge, the expertise, but I mean, you really, like, you can tell how much you love it and you actually care about it. And it's fantastic. And I mean, that passion just resonates with me so much. Well, thank you. I think that it's, I, I'm suited for it or it's suited for me or something, but I just really, really love it. And that's, that's been one of the challenging aspects of having triplets to me is like, while I have always wanted to be a mother, like it has been like one of the like things I just knew I had to do in my life. And you know, while I and just feel so fortunate that I was able to carry three babies that long and that, you know, they're all healthy and everybody's good. And even when I'm just like at my wits end at the end of the day, I'm like, what? Like, I'm so lucky that I have all of this, you know? And then at the same time, I'm like, but I want to use my brain and I want to think and I want to like help people do stuff, you know? And so mm -hmm. it's been like, it, it has helped me tremendously from a like mental standpoint to have this outlet of being able 
to think and still have a mind and still have a, I don't know, purpose to someone other than my family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear that so much. My family isn't amazing, but it's fun to have something else too. And it's important. Mm-hmm. I hear you a hundred percent. Like I, I, I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, so people do your online course and then they hit that one where they're like, okay, I'm trying to think about it and I just can't get myself to do it. I need some help. How do they find a quality physical therapist like you? What, what well, they- so that's the million dollar question. You know, how do you find a good school teacher? How do you find a good attorney? How do you find a good personal trainer? How do you find a good plumber? You know, anything like word of mouth. Um, There are websites out there that are devoted to how to find a pelvic floor physical therapist, but they don't necessarily like tell you whether that person is the right fit for you. And they could be a great pelvic floor physical therapist and just still, you you just don't connect with them. So, I mean, I, I know that as a busy mom and when there's finances involved, it gets really hard to shop around for the right person. But I would say word of mouth is really big. If you can find somebody who has an experience with them, then that's probably a good route to go. But I also think that the more informed you are, the more discriminating consumer you can be. So if you were, like if you were starting from scratch and you had no idea of anything about your pelvic floor, but you knew you were leaking and you were like, I want to go find a good physical therapist, then I think that you would have to count on things like reviews and word of mouth and just, you know, who, you know. Um, but if you, if you're, for instance, someone who's leaking and you have the background to understand, okay, you know, similar to what you just said about your own body, you know, not saying that you leak, but like that, um, you have enough background to understand this doesn't work and that doesn't work. And my hip kind of does this. And I feel like when I do this, this slide isn't right, you know? And so when the more you understand about how it's all interconnected, um, then the better consumer you can be. So if you were someone who had, um, like if you were a client within my program and you'd got to a point where you're like, I just, I don't know how to get any further. Hopefully you've gained enough knowledge from what you've learned that it would help you to be a better, um, a better judge of whether or not Um, this were somebody that could answer your questions. And I mean, it's not unreasonable to call a physical therapy clinic and say, you know, I, I just want to talk to my physical therapist before I come in. I would think that especially um, a topic that's a little more sensitive, like a pelvic floor physical therapist, that they would be even more willing to talk to you on the phone. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would, I would suggest talking to other people and then calling and seeing if you can talk to the physical therapist ahead of time. But it, it is really hard. You know, I mean, I, I don't think I have the worst time trying to find somebody that I really love the way they cut my hair. And <laughs> like, I just have to keep trying, you know, mm-hmm. like if you go and you're like, oh, this isn't right. I've explained everything to them and it's still not cut right. I've told them all I know to say, and it's still not it then I just have to go and find somebody different. And so I wish that there were a better way to go about it for finding a physical therapist, but that genuinely is all I know to say, like you can search online, you can read reviews, you can talk to other people. Um, but you might just, you might have to try a few before you find the right one for you. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I I have to ask because there's been all of this talk of pelvic floor and I feel like most people's knowledge is pretty much pelvic floor kegels. Yes. Yeah. So, so what do you think about kegels, and what more is there to the pelvic floor, and what can be done with it besides just kegels? Well, it depends on what you mean when you say kegels. <laughs> everyone doesn't mean the exact same thing. Oh man, but, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yes, everyone means a contraction of your pelvic floor. But exactly how are you contracting your pelvic floor? Are you contracting the front and the back of your pelvic floor? Are you doing a squeeze and a lift because there's a superficial layer and there's a deeper layer? Are you doing it where you contract it and relax it quickly? Like if you step off the curb and you need your body to catch you really quickly, or are you doing it and holding it for long periods of time and not, you know, 
not all day, but you know, can you contract it and hold it for several seconds and then relax it, relax it versus the quick response? You know, and so all of those are components of a good pelvic floor contraction. And so if you're someone who says, well, I've done my Kegels and it didn't solve my problem, it might mean that you're doing one of those components, but not all of those components. And that one of the components that you're missing is what's essential for you. Or it could mean that some other part of your kinetic chain is playing a factor like your breathing or your hips or your abs, et cetera. Or you could be someone whose pelvic floor is actually overworked and in trying to do Kegels, you're overworking it more. And actually what you need to do is learn to relax your pelvic floor. So Kegels are a wonderful tool, but they're not the entirety of pelvic floor because it depends on all of those other, you know, um, contributors. So, well, I have gained a load of information from you today. I'm sure everyone listening has learned a whole lot and especially the moms who are listening, which is the bulk of our audience are probably all like making mental notes of action steps and you know, if they're anything like me, while you were talking, I was like checking myself, how am I breathing right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to when somebody's talking about it. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like the more we talk about it, the more the message gets out there, the more it spreads, the more people realize, like, I hate to use the words right and wrong, because if you're breathing, it's right, right? Like, mm-hmm. you haven't died yet, so that's good. You know, but there are better ways to do it that might affect other parts of you. So right and wrong is just like an abbreviation. But, you know, who knew there was a wrong way to breathe, you know? (laughs) And so I just feel like the more we talk about stuff and the more that information gets out there, then the less people have to put up with all of these, you know, components of motherhood that are common, but not normal. Common, but not normal. Absolutely. And so along those lines, um, for people now who are going to be completely obsessed with you, how do they connect with you? How do they find your course? What do you have to offer? Give us Uh, everything. So my website is mamamadestrong.com. No, you know, spaces or punctuation or anything. And you should be able to find pretty much anything that you're looking for on mamamadestrong.com. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, as Mama Made Strong, no punctuation or anything. I'm also on Instagram as Mama Made Strong, no punctuation or anything. Um, so any of those means would be, you know, easy ways to get a hold of me or see what I'm about. Um, I have a freebie on my website if anybody kind of wants to take things for a test drive. I have a blog on my website where I try to talk about things that people don't want to talk about because then they can read about it and then they don't have to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And we're going to put all of those links in the show notes. So anyone who's listening can find them there. And yeah, I mean, thank you so much for being on here. My first guest. Yay. (laughs) What a great one. Yeah, it was totally fun. Um, I really appreciate it. I've learned so much from you. Uh, Betsy Petrie Johnson, make sure you look her up. Um, And thank you also to the Holistic Therapies Directory who uh, produces this podcast for us. Uh, Thanks again for listening to Badass Moms brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. I'm Nicole Cruz, Super Busy Mommy Coach. Betsy, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you.